chapter 5. So good to be with you. Shirley and I were raised in a small town in northwest Ohio, Montpelier. We were hometown sweethearts. Both of us were saved as children. I was a bus kid, if you can believe it, back in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, my dad worked on the NW Railroad as a brakeman and a conductor. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I'm, I was grateful for that. Both of Shirley's parents worked very hard in local factories. As a teenager, I worked in a factory, in a grocery store, in a laundromat to save to go to college. Shirley in a convenience store and a nursing home. She went away to Toledo and became an RN. I went to Bowling Green and became a math teacher because my father wanted me to be a math teacher, and I love math and I substituted in the schools in Toledo, Ohio in that area. Uh, worked as a loan officer in a finance company. But God was doing something else in our lives. You know, if God wants to do something in our lives, we're never gonna be satisfied doing something uh, other than his will. We need to be people who want to do his will. In 1973, God called me to preach I became an assistant pastor for 15 years and helped start a Christian school and a radio station that both of them are still going today in Clyde, Ohio, uh, where we helped bring that church out of Pentecostalism, and it's an independent Baptist church today. I went back to school to Bob Jones University to get my master's degree and led a college for a year, and in 1989 we started Star Publications. Uh, God has blessed us with three, three children. They're all serving the Lord uh, in independent Baptist churches with their mates. And uh, we've been in the ministry since 1975. 45 years, it's hard to believe. Uh, seven years ago, we sold our house and everything in it, bought a motorhome, went out on the road, lived in the motorhome for three years. 
Um, uh, I got cancer, and uh, because of that, we felt that we ought to sell the motorhome and get something a little more stable. We bought a condominium and Big Red, our big SUV out there that carries all of our gear with us. And so uh, I preach revivals, mission conferences, family conferences, and Bible conferences, and uh, we stay busy on the road. Pray for us, if you would. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 John 5, 13. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Those who are saved are given the gift of eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Eternal life. And Christ wants us to know that we have eternal life. Know is in the present tense. He wants us to know it now, here and now, that we have the assurance that we have eternal life. Now, there is, however, a devil also. Uh, the devil is busy working on our minds as he did on Eve's mind in the garden. And the devil works on both the saved and the lost for that matter. Uh, think about this. To the Christian, the devil plants doubts that he or she is really saved. The devil tortures with thoughts uh, that he or she may still go to hell. Uh, to the unbeliever, the devil plants ideas that he or she is okay and just as they are and that they might go to heaven just as they are. The devil proposes assumptions and faulty arguments so that he or she will think that they're not in any danger at all and has, have as much chance of going to heaven as the next person. So the devil's busy. <coughs> it is vital that you and I know what the Bible says, what God says that is, uh, and that we truly are saved. For two reasons. One is that faulty assurance and false hope of salvation will lead us to hell. Think about this. Matthew 7, 22 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, uh, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They had false hopes of salvation. They expected to go to heaven based on their works. And some even called Christ Lord, but they weren't truly saved. They may have even been in a church. We don't know. Paul wrote about, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4, about false brethren, uh, unawares brought in. There is such a thing as false brethren, uh, those who think or say that they are saved, but who are not. And there may be, therefore, false hopes of salvation as well. That's a fact. The second reason that's vital for us to know that we are saved 
is that being a Christian without assurance is pure agony. It's torment to be saved but not know if you're saved or not. Every day you wonder if you're saved. You ask, am I going to heaven or not? Uh, I know because I pastored and I had people come to me over and over again throughout our years. Uh, am I really one of his children who is invited to cry out to him or not? That's what Fanny Crosby wrote enthusiastically. She wrote, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory, divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. She personalized it as she got to that chorus. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And she sang it again. I used to be a math teacher, as I said, in the public schools around Toledo. And we know that an axiom is a self-evident truth. And when you pile axioms together, they bring you to a clear conclusion. So this morning, we want to look at seven axioms on the assurance of salvation as we consider this question. How do you know that you are saved? How do you know that you are saved? Seven axioms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. Our Lord, I appreciate Pastor Philbrick for inviting me in, uh, inviting us in today. And Lord, it's great to meet the saints of God in Clinton. We're asking you, Lord, for your blessing now through your word. Help us, Lord, to clarify uh, maybe a thing or two and for someone to get assurance of their salvation, maybe somebody else to pray to receive Christ, even here or maybe through live stream. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Axiom number 1. I'm going to give you seven self-evident truths that when you come to the end of it, you ought to be able to answer the question, how do I know that I am saved? Number one, God wants everyone to be saved. Well, that's easy, isn't it? He wants everyone to be saved. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. He wants everybody to have that knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to be born again. In 2 Peter 3.9, which is where you are, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has not predestinated some to go to hell. Get that out of your mind. He has not. He gave up his only son so that you could be saved. The payment's been made. He wants you to be saved. God has given every person the opportunity to be saved, and he's particularly done that for you. You're here under the sound of the preaching again today. But more than that, he wants you to be saved. Not only has he provided for our salvation, but he wants us 
to be saved and to know it. The will of God is for you to believe on Christ and be saved. Axiom number two. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. God's word teaches us that we are saved by repentance for our sins and faith in Christ. Repentance and faith. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Here in the fourth part of this verse, we have a great definition for repentance or to give us an insight to the understanding of it. Repentance is godly sorrow that leads to salvation. It's when you or I see that we have sinned and broken God's law and it makes us sorrowful and willing to confess and be forgiven. Too many people will never get saved because they think too highly of themselves. They don't want to hear that they're a sinner. They don't want to hear that. Further, they refuse to admit it. That's pride. And pride will keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Pride goes before destruction. They don't want to face their sin and bad decisions. We tend to associate affluency and success with not needing to repent. It's uh, our success. Uh, we're, we're pretty good people, we're Americans, we're Christians. We lump all of that stuff together. Our missionaries report, however, over and over again, in the poorer, the ones from the poorer countries, that you don't have to preach long for folks to uh, realize and admit that they're sinners in those countries. They know they're sinners. Then why is it so hard in America for us to admit that we're sinners? To acknowledge it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. The truth for those who are in Mexico and those who are in Germany and the truth for those who are in Japan and Africa, the truth for those who are in South America and Korea and the Philippines and Arab nations and China and America is the same truth. All have sinned and therefore all need to admit and repent before God. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 20, 26, 20, but showed first unto them, and the verse goes on, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Or in other words, here's the formula, repentance and faith bring salvation. Then comes the works after that. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, I want you to see this. Hebrews 6 and verse 1, go over there, if you have your Bibles with you. <clears throat> it says, and it's talking about growth in Christ, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation, the foundation, what's the foundation? The foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Or in other words, salvation comes from by repentance and faith toward God through Jesus Christ. So I have to ask this morning, have you ever done that? 
Have you ever repented of your sins and placed your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross as he died there for your sins, subsequently arose again the third day? Have you ever done that? Because if you have, according to the Bible, you are saved. Amen. And if you haven't done that, you are not. Um, exercise that faith today. Uh, don't leave here without doing that. Turn to First John, to John, I'm sorry, St. John, chapter 6. We'll get the third one. The first axiom is God wants to save everyone. The second one is that he saves only through repentance and faith in Christ. Number three, Christ will not refuse anyone who comes to him. Anyone. In John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You may be refused for a job that you apply for. That's certainly a possibility. You might be turned down for a loan. That's a possibility. That's happened to me a couple of times. You may be rejected by a family member or some other group, but when you come to Christ for salvation, Christ says you are pre-approved. Boy, I like that thought. We are pre-approved for salvation. Amen. He will not refuse you. Uh, he will do what he promised to do. He will save your soul. He will accept you. And that's the promise of God in his word. Axiom number four. We're moving along pretty good here. Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews seven. God can forgive the worst sinner. One of the objections that people have to coming to Christ is they say I've committed too many sins well not according to the Bible Hebrews 7.25 wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them some think there's a limit on how much God can forgive there's no limit but no limitations on who is allowed to come and be saved or how much God can forgive through Christ. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. They had a boatload, but now they've been made alive. They've been saved uh, there in Ephesus. And so you face no credit check when you come to Christ. You will not be turned down. When you come repenting and believing, your debt is consolidated and your account is paid in full by Jesus Christ. Psalm 103 and verse 12 says, As far as east is from west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You can't define east from west. It doesn't matter what you've done. You are forgiven all of your sins are cast into God's sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered against you again. Isn't that great? Man, I'm glad. Uh, some of the things in the past I can leave in the past because God has forgiven them for Christ's sake whenever I came to him for salvation. Uh, Christ gives you eternal life. He gives you a fresh start. 
and you are accepted into the family of God. So we're doing pretty well on our study here of the axiom, self-evident truths that lead to a conclusion. One is that God wants to save everyone. Secondly, he saves us when we repent and believe on Christ. Number three, he won't refuse anyone who comes to him. Number four, he is able to forgive the worst sinner. That would include me. Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. And so, number five, this is important now. God is not a liar. Got that? God is not a liar. That's axiom number five. What he said that he would do, he will do. If he said that he wouldn't refuse anyone, he won't refuse anyone. In Titus 1 and verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. He promised eternal life. Amen. We've come to him. Numbers 23, 19. The first part of that verse says, God is not a man that he should lie. Our God does not lie. Amen. He does not lie. The devil is the liar. And so... But God is a God of truth. In fact, he is truth. His son is the way, the truth, and the life. He's truth. He's not like some politicians who say one thing and do the opposite. What God says, God does. If he promises judgment, you can believe it. He, there's going to be judgment. If he promises that there's an eternal burning hell and sinners are going there, you can take it to the bank. That's exactly what's going to happen. If he says that there's a literal heaven prepared for believers in Christ, you can believe it. It's true. Why? Because God is not a liar. If he says that he will chasten the disobedient, better watch out because he will do it because he's not a liar. The God of the Bible does not lie. And by the way, the God of the Bible is not the same as the Hindu uh, Buddha or the uh, Muslim Muhammad or um, um, Allah uh, or any other false God. The God of the Bible is alive. He's alive and the God of the Bible is not just one of the gods. He is the only God and he doesn't lie and he's revealed himself and, and what he wants in the word of God. So we can find out what he says in the Bible. Number six. Axiom number six on our way to seven. Since the God of the Bible doesn't lie, axiom number six. If you have received Christ, you must believe that he did what he said he would do. He doesn't lie. Otherwise, you're calling him a liar. If you repented and believed on Christ like he instructed us to do in the Bible and you meant it from your heart, you must believe that God did what he promised that he would do and that is you are saved. You are counted in the beloved and you have a home in heaven one day, an inheritance ahead in Christ. Otherwise, again, you're calling God a liar. Remember that salvation is not by feelings. I mean, feelings are fickle. I mean, I don't feel saved. If you want to go by feelings every day, 
Uh, some days I wake up and uh, reluctantly, and I look in the mirror, good night. That scares me. And then I, I don't feel saved when everything goes bad in my life. I don't feel saved when I get bad news. I've uh, been diagnosed with cancer three times. Uh, uh, those were not exciting days uh, for us. But salvation is not a matter of feelings, is it? No. Uh, rather, salvation is by faith and in the facts of Scripture, faith in the finished work of Christ. Here are the facts the Bible gives us. Number one, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I have broken God's law. That's a self-evident fact that I'm a sinner. And by the way, so are you. The facts of Scripture. I am condemned to go to hell because of my sin. That's a fact of Scripture. Our sin takes us to hell. We deserve to go to hell. Every one of us, according to the economy of God and the Bible. Fact number three. Jesus Christ died in our place and in the place of all sinners and arose again the third day. That's a fact. It's a fact of history. It's a fact of the Bible. It's a fact you can believe in. Number four, if I repent of my sins and accept his sacrifice on the cross as payment for my sins by faith, God promised to save my soul and to give me the gift of eternal life right now right now I have that gift and you have that gift if you've received Christ as Savior in 1960 I exercised my faith in those truths and I did what he said at age 8 at summer camp in Hillsdale Michigan I went forward at the end of that service I was sitting right over in this area I came up my counselor, camp counselor, came down and prayed with me to receive Christ that night. I'll never forget it. Steve Burkett was his name. He's gone on now. Therefore, I can rest assured that if I did repent and receive Christ, that I am saved. The devil can't talk me out of it, you see. that I'm not going to be uh, hoodwinked. I'm not going to be tormented back and forth every day am I saved or I'm not saved because I know what the scripture says and God cannot lie so I've got to believe what he said in 1980 we had been in the ministry for five years when Shirley shared with me that she wasn't sure if she was saved and she was in constant torture over that in a particular service shortly after that that neither of us will ever forget. She made sure of her salvation. She took time to take it seriously, put it before the Lord, and she uh, found the assurance of her salvation that night. And it was settled, and it's been settled ever since. We had a young mother in our church, she's still there, but in, night, in 2011, and she's sweet, college Bible college grad, grew up in a Christian home, and but she was tormented. She, I mean, you could look in her eyes and she was just frightful in her eyes about this matter of assurance of her salvation. She was tormented every day and we, we, I preach and counsel with her 
and she realized that she just needed to believe God's word. Well, uh, that was 2011, and ever since, she's had assurance of her salvation. Still going strong, still serving the Lord in the church. We have, in 1992, when I first went to Brogue, we have a hardworking man in our church, uh, Tom Albright, and uh, he came forward at the end of the service, and I asked him what he came for, and he said, I, I have been doubting my salvation and doubting it, and I just decided this is it. I'm not going another day without knowing for sure that I'm saved. And he settled that, gained the assurance that Sunday morning, and he's still on the firing line today. Just saw him last Sunday night, faithful today. I wonder how it is about you. Do you have doubts? If I were you, I wouldn't wait another day. I would take care of that doubt today. There's no reason for you to have the doubt. He wrote that we might know that we have eternal life. And take that seriously, that God will not lie. Uh, there's one last thing. Axiom number seven. If you have never received Christ, you must believe that he'll do what he said he would do. Because God cannot lie. He said that he would send you to an eternal lake of fire. This is a sobering thought, one that I don't like to think about and don't want to think a lot about. But if you're lost, you need to think about it. Um, if you die without Christ, it'll be a sad story. Revelation 20 and verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God doesn't lie. He doesn't exaggerate to get, a, to get an effect. You are in grave danger if you don't know him as Savior today. I'm glad that you came. So excited that you came. But God wants you to take that next step of receiving him as Savior. I trust that you will. I, a couple of things. Um, Mary cannot save you. If she could, the Bible would have told us that, but it never told us to pray to Mary. And Mary's not the answer. Mary even called on Christ as her Savior in Luke chapter 1 and verse 47 called him Savior. Just because your parents were believers, that doesn't make you a believer. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Every person has to put their individual faith and trust in Christ. You can't rely on your humanitarian attitude because we're not saved by works that we do. You can, uh, some may say, I'm counting on my good outweighing my bad. And that would save you and take you to heaven if that's what the Bible said. The problem is, that's not what God said would take you to heaven. And so, uh, don't trust on a faulty foundation. Trust what God said, because God cannot lie. Repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ, in Him alone. Where will you spend eternity? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate your attention to the Word of God this morning.